Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every week we talk about some movies. So, let's talk about some movies. And we got a great movie this week. We do, and we're continuing with our Quentin Tarantino director spotlight. And what are we watching today? Currently, we're watching Quentin Tarantino's most financially successful, most award-winning film, Django Unchained. And... For our month, we have done his first film, his least successful, and now his most successful film. And judging by a lot of people's confused looks, because we can totally see you through the internet, Django Unchained is his most successful film, and it is by every reasonable metric I was able to find. It made him the most money, it won the most awards out of any of his films, and I want to say it might have probably one of the most interesting cultural impacts of his most recent work but we're gonna get into all of that but boo how are you this fine day after watching this fine movie i'm good it was my first time watching it and yeah it's a very entertaining action-packed movie there are funny bits to it um i love jamie fox and christoph waltz's relationship in this movie oh it's so good this is a weird question because I don't really know Jamie Foxx from a lot of things other than this film and Ray. Mm -hmm. Is he like a comedic actor? Yeah, he could be funny. It's just, I think he was cast perfectly in this movie. Oh, yeah. So it was interesting to see him in other projects and to see him as Django. And it's like, oh, yeah, this role was like written for you specifically to be Django. He really can, you know, be anybody. We've seen him in Spider-Man. We've seen him in comedies. And mm. it's just... Like, in this movie, it's like, yeah, he's Django. And yeah. he kicks ass and doesn't take any fucking names. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is this movie is so much fun. So, also a little, uh, I guess it's not a little, it's a super hard R, right? Yeah. This is this is not a, uh, I guess you would say a family film by any stretch of the imagination. No. So, disclaimer, if you haven't seen this movie, do not watch it with children. And if you're not into um, gore or seeing people being very, very mistreated... Oh, Do not watch this movie. Or the dropping of uh, the N-word multiple times, because this is a a movie about uh, slavery in the United States. I think it was, what, two years before the Civil War? That's when the film is set, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there is a lot of bad language, and I think this movie takes... Um, it's like the, the number one movie that ha that says that word the most in film history. Is it? It is. It, it's, it's said over, I don't know, 100 times? 130 or 140 times? That's a weird statistic to know. But I guess for people who are not in the know, we should probably tell them what the movie's broadly about. And uh, do you, do you want to take this one? I think you should, because you've seen this multiple times. This is my first time. Yeah, I've seen this movie, uh, I don't know, like two, three times at this point. Um, and it's very good. It's, I really enjoy it. But the film is about Django, a freed slave who is brought into a business relationship with a German bounty hunter, uh, Dr. King Schultz, as they collect bounties throughout the West and putting Django on the quest to find his wife, who has been taken in by the very racist, very disgusting and incredibly charming Calvin Candy played by Leonardo DiCaprio down in, in Candyland. Candyland. I mean, as soon as I heard that, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Candyland? It is it is a weird, weird thing, and I feel it's a reference to something that's not the board game. I saw that look in your eye. No, it's not the board I game. I mean, immediately I thought of the board game, and I was like, I can... Well, I mean, not that I've played Candyland in a long time, but I'm like, man, I don't think I could ever play Candyland again. 
It's true. It's true. But the movie is is a revenge story, and it's a little, and it's an action movie. It has some suspense. There's a lot of comedy bits in it, and it's just, it's just such a really weird genre mashup of a film that and it all works. It's also like three hours long. Yeah, it's a long movie. It's got its. Uh... Tarantinoisms throughout the movie. It's got great music in the movie. Great music. Also, I got a question. So, because this is a three-hour-long movie, I feel like this flies by. Like, I feel the pacing in this is fantastic. Yeah, pacing was fine. It's just I ran into the uh, speed bump where my internet dropped in the middle of the movie. So, so I lost about an hour. But, I mean, once the internet kicked back on, then the momentum, you know, kept going. Yeah. So it also stands pretty well because that first hour is like its own movie. Yeah. With uh, King and uh, Django. Yeah. Man, the movie. I I just really enjoy how this movie is just structured. This is just a well crafted film. It's like it's like that fine wine that's been aged for like a few years. It's kind of like uh, like the superhero universe where it just like keeps expanding, and that's how this movie feels. Like you know, we meet Django in the middle of the night, and he's being transferred over with other people, and then as soon as he meets up with the Doctor, this world just kind of expands, his character expands, you know, he's turned into this bounty hunter that's going to go out and, you know, kill everybody that's in his way to get to his wife. Yeah, and it's just such a well-acted film, too, because, as you were saying, the film expands and we get more people involved, we get the different bounties, we get, like, the the, the proto-clan, mm-hmm. which is just this big comedy bit with yes. like Jonah Hills in there for some reason and it's just great and like Candyland and all these little characters that show up are all played like really really well and all the performances are so good again surprising that only Christoph Waltz won an Oscar for his role in the film mm-hmm. I don't I'm not sure if um Leo and Jamie Foxx were nominated or, or even Samuel L. Jackson because I think they all do like a-plus performances. They do, and this was a long time ago, so they might have all been nominated, but yeah, Christoph Waltz won, but I think they all did an excellent job. Everyone really stepped into who their characters were, made it their own, mm-hmm. and it just made the movie feel more authentic. Oh, yeah. But I guess let's go on a little bit little bit more down this train. Where do you want to start? I think we should start with the characters. I guess let's get started with the characters. So, we have Django, played by... Sir Jamie Foxx. He's not knighted, but uh, whatever. We'll knight him. Exactly. Because, my God, he's a superhero in this movie. He really is. This feels like a superhero origin story, right? It does. I mean, he's got his own theme song. He d- I, would, um, I know this about the theme song, you know, Django. Yeah. That is from the original film Django from mm-hmm. 1964, I think? It's early 60s, yeah. Yeah, I watched that film a couple of months ago. Because I was watching Spaghetti Westerns for a uh, previous podcast. And, oh, that movie is great. I love that movie. That movie is just a slice of Italian cheese that is just aged. Très magnifique. And it's one of Tarantino's favorites. And he met the director. Yeah. And he was like, you know, I love your movie. And he was reciting lines to him. And he even, you know, sang the theme song. So I think I'm going to have to watch this movie now. Yeah, I mean, we do get Django meeting Django in the film yes we do yeah because franco nero has his cameo in the film Mm -hmm. and it's it's just a fun thing because the film takes so much from the spaghetti western genre yeah a lot from sergio leone films uh good and the bad the ugly the dollars trilogy 
because Tarantino loves himself some spaghetti westerns. I mean, spaghetti westerns are awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love all those Clint Eastwood westerns. Yeah. I think they're all fun. But, Django, back to what we were talking about a second ago. Such a good and deep character, right? Yes. I love him. He's... It's hard to describe him because it's like I could just picture him like very much Indiana Jones. You get those silhouettes of him, the hat, and he's just standing in the doorway. He's, Dude's a hero. He is. He is. I mean, the other thing is he's also like a tortured hero, right? Yeah. Because he has like the tragic backstory. And even in the context of the world around him, right? He's, he's a slave and he gets freed and it's a very like... He was whipped, he was abused, mm-hmm. all, all the things around him. He watched his wife being abused. Watched his wife being abused, she was stolen from him. And it's one of those things where he has this tragic, like, like aura around him, but then you go deeper within him as a character, and he's also kind of flawed because he's a little cold-blooded. Yeah. You know, he has this sense of of morality, but he's really just a, one of those goals-oriented heroes, right? Yeah. Where he'll, like, he's like, well, this guy's got a bounty, Granny's in front of his kid, but if I kill the guy, I get the bounty. I gotta, gotta do what I gotta do. Yeah, it can be a little rough, but Django gets the job done. Yeah, and he has to get his job done with his uh, best pal, his mentor figure, the father figure that's in a lot of Tarantino films. Yes. And that's Christoph Waltz playing Dr. King Schultz, who is just, this guy's in a different movie, right? Oh, he's just having a great time. Right? Like, I love... Christoph Waltz, like, he is so good in, like, everything I've seen him in. Yeah. Because he was in Glorious Bastards right before this, right, with he, Tarantino? He was, and he was a bad guy. And then, you know, Tarantino approached him about this movie, and he was like, I don't know, but, you know, if you have me being polite to everybody, I don't want to be mean to anybody, I will do the role. <laughs> I mean, as much hatred as we get in this movie, it was refreshing to see somebody that was... A genuine, understanding person. Yeah, even though he's a cold-blooded killer. Yeah. That, that's the other thing. Like, everybody in here has these weird contrasts, right? But I, I love his shtick, where he would kill somebody and be like, Whoa, whoa, you know, excuse me, sir, I, I'm sorry I did this, but I have the documentation in my pocket, <laughs> I... and this man has done so many, you know, horrible things. <laughs> I had to do it. I'm, you know, doing this favor for you. I will take my 200, please. It is great, because every time he pulls a bounty he goes into the long ultra polite just like ramblings of a lawyer mm-hmm. to everyone around him and uh, it's great because so many of these people just look at him and they're like that sounds right i don't know what the fuck he's saying but he sounds like he knows what he's talking about yeah and i mean we get that later in the movie when he's talking to Django, and he's like you have to commit to your character yeah it, it really helps you get by and that's how you know who knows how long he's been a bounty hunter for but he's been able to make an income and move throughout the country there's another point there because i guess this comes up in the the tarantinoisms right yeah. we'll we'll jump to tarantinoisms real real quick because it's it's now relevant dr schultz is directing Django like a director directs an actor mm-hmm. and tells him he's playing a character he's getting into a role and we saw the same thing in reservoir dogs we did and to an extent, we kind of see it in Death Proof, the film we saw last week. Yeah. Tarantino really does have a fascination with showing the artifice of film and of performance. A movie within a movie. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if that's that's something that it, that carries on through almost all of his films. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's a different way to go. But I like that it's different every time we see it. Mm-hmm. It's not the same tired bit. It's like, okay... This time, he's, you know, basically taking on an apprentice, and we're seeing it kind of in that light. 
And it's just, you know, he's determined to make his apprentice better than him. Mm. So that someday when they're, they've parted, Django could stand on his own. He's his own free man and he can, you know, continue to being, you know, put that money in his pocket. And that's another Tarantinoism. The, the whole father dynamic. Father, yeah, the father-son or yeah. like the, the, um, the mentorship role. Mm-hmm. Because we get that, again, in Reservoir Dogs, yeah. and also a little bit in Death Proof, just a little bit, with, like, the, the more seasoned stunt woman taking Rosario Dawson under their wing yeah. and kind of showing her. It's it's a very interesting thing that it's, these show up everywhere. That it's kind of centered around family. Yeah, it's centered around this very strange self-made family dynamic. I mean, we see it in the Glorious Bastards, right? All the bastards yeah. get together to form their own little... Their family, yeah. Yeah, their own family dynamic, and it's... a it is an interesting thing that these little Tarantinoisms show up so often in all of his films. But in this film, his arguably most successful, they're almost like the easiest to pick out, right? Yeah. Like, you're, it's really easy to pick out the Tarantinoisms, especially the needle drop moments. Mm-hmm. Because this movie pays no mind to period accurate music. Yes. <laughs> what is it? We, we get, uh, I'm pretty sure there's some Jay-Z in here. I'm pretty sure there's a Kanye song. Uh, there's a lot of like '60s, like like rock or punk music, mm-hmm. all over this, and it's and scoring itself. Oh, the uh, scores by um, Ennio Morricone, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and this was the score that got him the Academy Award, I believe. Yeah, no, he wasn't nominated this year for the Oscar. I know he did win one though. He, he, oh no, he, he, he's won a f- he's won a few, I think. Yeah, because I know that he worked with Tarantino before, and he was kind of like, "Ooh, you know, it's kind of hard to work because Tarantino loves to throw in, you know, a score and then a popular song." And so he was just like, "This is kind of all over the place." And then he worked with him again, and he ended up getting the Academy Award. Mm-hmm. And it was just like that was probably for Hateful Eight. Could be because I think Hateful Eight was his last film before he passed away. I believe could be. So it's just like. You know, stick it out, and yeah, it's a Tarantino movie. It's gonna do well, and this movie did very well. Oh yeah, and I mean, also having Morricone doing your score—that's another direct tie to Leone spaghetti mm-hmm. westerns, that whole Italian spaghetti western genre. Yeah, and this film is just like, God, I—it is really um, Quentin Tarantino making a fan letter to. Sergio Leone like that is what this movie is it's like three hours long it's got the long drawn out kind of scenes and dialogue and long builds up that and and it also has gunfights it has gunfights but it also has landscape yeah well that's that's the western trope right there that everyone needs to see if you if you are making a western you need to make love to your landscape shots yeah and it's just you know it's not the tired like dirt old west kind of shot we see mountains we see you know the practically the bayou yeah we see the snow we see the swamps we Mm -hmm. see all the plantations we see the texas we see all these places obviously they're probably all filmed within the same like 10 mile radius but it's really built into the movie yeah it's not just you know sand and tumbleweeds it's like it's its own world that we're kind of exploring even though we're only going through a couple of states yeah and, uh, and, and that's the whole thing of like the Tarantinoisms, right? Cause yeah. he's a genre nut and he really knows like the keys of the genre. And that's why he's really going with beautiful landscapes. We got to get these big hero shots. It's got to be filmed this certain way. And it's all on like film film. It's not digital. And it's, 
It's a, it's a really interesting thing. But back to the uh, characters, right? Because yeah. there's at least two more characters that I think we really need to highlight here. Yeah. Well, maybe three. Maybe three? Maybe three. All right, who do you want to start with for the for the last three, I guess? Well, we got to talk about Brumhilda. Brumhilda. Yes, that is Django's wife, and that is played by Carrie Washington. And I recognize this woman from, like, a bunch of things. I have no idea what I've seen her in. Yeah, she was in Scandal, I believe. She was the star of that show where she was, um, I think, dating the president. Yeah, Scandal. Uh, she was also in Ray with Jamie Foxx. You know, that's Save the Last I, Dance. That's probably what I've seen her in. I've probably seen her in Ray before. Because she looked so familiar, and she is very good in this. For, for not really having a lot of... Not a lot of dialogue, but she's really no. able to portray so much with with her um, body. Yeah, and I don't I don't know. She's like a really good and kind of captivating actress to just watch perform. Yeah, it's kind of nice to see. We see her for the first time in distress, and you know, Django's you know begging you know don't hit her, take it out on me. But we see her come full circle in this movie, so we kind of get to see some of her personality mm-hmm. versus being in fear because. They really put her to the test a lot in the scenes that we do see her. I, I also love how she's this kind of like spectral figure for Django as he's traveling yeah. through the South where he just like looks off in the distance and she's just like there and then she like disappears into the into the bayous and things like that. I think that also helps kind of make it feel like the old movies where these guys are out for miles and miles on a horse and your mind just kind of wanders and you're picturing that person that you miss that you want to see so much. Yeah, and it, it also gives the film a very, um, almost like otherworldly quality. And it kind of gives it the feeling like uh, the Odyssey, right? Yeah. Where it has this almost myth- mythical aspect to it. Kind of dreamlike. Yeah, exactly. Because it almost feels like, I, I guess this is probably going into the fact that Django is literally on like a Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, mm-hmm. right? Where he is... This guy who starts off and he travels into the depths of the beast and he thinks he can find it, but he has to leave and come back around. This is really a hero's journey narrative. And Broomhilda is this, like, like the figure of his, like, desire. Like, she's Mm -hmm. the goal at the end of the tunnel. But she's also a... a, I don't want to say she's, like, a completely three-dimensional character. She's she's a little bit of damsel in distress. But you you do get a good sense of her feelings in the moments and the scenes she's in. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that Kerry Washington does a great performance here. Yeah. I mean, she really, really made that part her own. And it was just interesting to see her her range. Yeah. Because we go from distress and fear to... Basically torture, right? Tortured. Yeah, because that's one of the other major times we see her is when she's in Candyland. And I was just like, oh my god, how are they doing this to her? Don't want to spoil it just yet, but... Carrie Washington, amazing. Very good, very good. And then I think we have to talk about Samuel Jackson. Yes, Samuel motherfucking <laughs> Jackson, who uh, himself said he was playing the most despicable black man in cinema in this role. Yes. And he's playing Stephen, and he is the head house servant of Calvin Candy, and he is just as vile, probably even more vile and evil than even uh, Calvin Candy. Yeah. Because, like, he's doing this not only to, like, his own people, but it seems to, he seems to, like, relish in the fact. He kind of, like, loves the amount of power he has. Yeah. That he can lord over people. 
And he's also really manipulative because he has Calvin wrapped around his finger. Mm -hmm. Like, he knows. He's like, Calvin could kill me. But he he won't. He won't. He He needs me too much. He does. And Samuel L. Jackson is such a good actor. He is. So good. I, I don't think I've seen a Samuel L. Jackson performance I didn't like. Nope, can't think of one. I know. I even liked him when he got eaten by the shark in Deep Blue Sea. But, um, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson and, like, okay, Steven's role in this, because would you put him as, like, the main antagonist? Or is he, like, that, like, shat, or is he, like, Palpatine? He's Palpatine in this movie. Where he's the bad guy, but he's, like, the bad guy in the shadows? Yeah, it's like, you know, I'm really pulling the strings to this operation, but I'll let this dummy think that he's in charge. Yeah, and the dummy that's in charge is way more openly sadistic Mm -hmm. and openly malicious and also he's also played by leonardo dicaprio oh leo do we got do we got to talk about leo oh we absolutely have to talk about okay the the man who stole the show in every scene he's in the man that is a meme himself exactly and leonardo dicaprio playing calvin candy i want to argue is one of his best roles he's ever oh absolutely right and this is this is leonardo dicaprio who arguably has had a career of iconic roles Mm -hmm. of being a phenomenal actor in at least in like the last 10 years he's been great in everything i've seen him in yeah but i want to know your thoughts on on leo the performer and then the the character character of calvin candy i mean leo the performer is amazing he always has been from way back in the day, you've just seen that potential grow and grow and grow. And he's one of these actors where he kind of flipped the switch and he is that character. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about him is just his, you know, dedication to these roles. But character, fucking hate that guy. Yes. Dude's a prick, but at the same time, he's charming. And it's just like, well, it's like, I want to like you. But I can't because you're this asshole racist that does horrible things to people. And he's also... It's one of those things where Leonardo DiCaprio didn't really want to take the role. Because no. he doesn't, doesn't, didn't want to play villains. No. I mean, if you look at his career, he's played a villain twice, including this role. Uh-huh. And he takes on Calvin Candy, who is, like, the worst kind of villain. Yeah. Like, you would want to play on screen. Openly racist. Really dumb. Really sadistic. But Leonardo DiCaprio is also just has a natural charisma that he injects into the character Mm -hmm. and makes him so watchable. Like, I hate Calvin Candy, but I love watching this guy just monologue. And And it's just interesting to see his approach as the character because you could see when it looks like he's about to, like, flip. You're thinking, oh my god, he's finally gonna lose it. And he'll, you know, turn and be like, you know, I'm sorry you've been here. Can I get you something to drink? And it's just like, ooh... It's like, that evil's there, but it's like, he knows well enough in his conscience. I can't reveal it just yet, so I'm gonna keep killing you with kindness before I actually kill you with my bare hands. Yeah, and also his, uh, his, the dinner scene. Yes. Is, again, arguably, if this is Leonardo's best role or one of his, like, top three, that's his best scene. Yeah. Because, my god, I am I was, like, legitimately scared for all the characters in the scene. Yeah. And he's just going for it. And, like, 
I know, like, it's pretty famous that he, like, sliced his hand open yeah, when he's he doing the monologue. He just kept going. Kept going. And he, like, smeared blood on Kerry Washington's face, and she it, was not ready for that shit. No, no, it was actually fake blood. He talked about it, because they, they bandaged him up, and he was like, hey, you know, I have an idea. What if I smear it across her face? And Quentin was like, I can mix it up, but, it up, you know, it's up to you. And Kerry Washington's like, let's go for it. So really, okay. well, yeah, it, it's not safe, you know, to well, be rubbing. No, I understand your blood. that, but I, I, again, this is probably you know my my obsession with seventies yeah. cinema, where in those things like, oh, you know, an actor did something and then they just fucking went for it. No, no. So uh, I, I legit thought he like sliced his hand. And that was all like one take. No, no, no. He sliced his hand. They cleaned him up, but then he was like, I've got this idea, and they did it the safe way. Because mm. I mean, you should never. Smear blood on another yeah. actor's face. That's... Or person's face, yeah. That, that you probably sh- get your ass kicked, right? Yeah, you should never do that, but... I mean, well, Carrie... You that know... goes into credit to Carrie Washington's performance, because she freaked out, like, legitimately. Yeah, and that's what makes it so believable, that you think it's one continuous shot. And it's not. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, I mean, she was really, you know, able to keep it up with the momentum that he kept it up with in the scene prior, where he slices his hand and go nut- goes nuts... And his whole stupid rant about, you know, the three dots in the back of the skull. Yeah, the, I was like, you've got to be kidding the dimples. me. Uh, it's, it's just such, it's such a just crazy good performance yeah. of a horrible person. Very, very horrible person. And, and it's just Spoiler so alert, I was so happy when... Um, King shot him. King gets him. <laughs> he's like, And King shoots him, he's like, sorry. And then he just is blasted. Also, look... Let's move on to to another thing. Probably the other main character of this, the violence, because Tarantino oh is accused God. of putting way too much violence in his movies, and in this movie, it's ultra violent. Yes, but it's to a cartoonish degree. People get shot with shotguns and they fly across the room, or when he's like, yeah. "Hey, say goodbye to Miss Candy, bye, Miss Candy," and he shoots her, and she just flings through the doorway doing Mach Ten. I think that was my favorite part of a movie. Oh, yeah. oh my god, I was dying because it's like, you know, yeah, gunshot's gonna send you back a little bit. There's a lot of pressure, but my god, that woman looked like she just shot out of a cannonball and was just gone. Oh yeah, and it's it's crazy because like the western style, like the the the, the gun, gunslinger, the gunslinger stuff, right? That stuff's like super over the top, right? Yeah. You get shot, you fling back like ten feet. Or, you know, like, you get shot and there's just this spray of blood, mm-hmm. you know, this five-foot-long spray of blood that just comes out of your chest. But whenever there is any violence done to the slaves in the movie, it's, like, ultra-realistic. And it's, yeah. like, really uncomfortable. Yeah, I had a hard time watching the, the dog scene. Oh, my, mine was the Mandingo scene. That, too. Yeah, because there's, because um, that's the, the thing. Calvin Candy is the slave owner who runs a Mandingo operation, mm-hmm. which is arguable to say if it's historically accurate. Most people think it's some bullshit um, because of, like, economics with how, like, slavery worked and how yeah. expensive, all this other stuff. But also, it's one of those things that was popularized in, like, black exploitation cinema back in, like, the seven, 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. But what it is, is just, like, hand-to-hand combat to the death, where slave owners pit slaves against each other and fight them to the death. And the dog scene is just really uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it's, it is really graphic. You do see bits of it, but you don't see them, like, tearing the man apart. But he is getting, like, attacked by dogs. But 
that's the thing. The violence done on slaves in this movie is just so uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, that fight scene alone, you just see the guy that's winning. I forget what his name is. Uh, um, Big John or Samson or something like that. Yeah, whoever's winning, you know, you see him crying and Mr. Candyman's, you know, do it, you know, get him, get him. And then once the other man can't see because he's popped his eyes out, throws him the hammer, well, you know, finish it. And it's just like, my God, you know, you're, you're putting people in such a horrible position as is and you're turning them into killers. It's just like, oh, I hate you. Yes. And, uh, but the reason I bring it up is because that's a level of like, that's a directorial choice. Yeah. Because people always accuse Tarantino of just reveling in violence because mm-hmm. he's like, it's so much fun, Jan. Yeah. But in this, like, there's, like, a thing where he's like, no, 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 like, this is cartoon violence. Like, the spaghetti western gunfight, that's cartoon violence. Well, that The shit and... that's happened to the slaves, that was some real shit. That's not funny. No, it's not funny. And then in interviews, he said, you know, he had even more footage and he really had to cut it down because his, his team was like, you know what, this is, this was already too much. And this is, you know, another football field filled of too much. And he was just like... All right, I guess, you know, if it's kind of, you know, doing a number on you guys, I'll scale it down to what we get in the movie. And even in the movie, it's like, my God, it's like, I could barely look at the screen because it's just too brutal. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's, again, you know, the weird, mature directorial choice of, like, Mm -hmm. this shit was fucking brutal. It was not at all, like, pleasant for a day. It was brutal and harsh and wrong and evil. And... Is this, I don't want to call this a mature film, but is this... No, this is a mature film. This is the most mature, like, Tarantino gets? Yeah, I think so. This was a really, really hard movie to watch because you just want to help everybody that's being either abused, abused, victimized, murdered. It's like you just want to help and stop these people that are so ignorant and think that they're entitled to just do what they want to do with another human being. Yeah, it's... It's just, it's such an interesting film in Tarantino's filmography yeah. because it does have a a take on this and it, I and he, it and it has his bend to it and it's probably a more mature tank than you would give him credit for once you look at like the nuance of it. But again, this is still an action Western film. It is and that's why having Django in it really helps because you feel like he is the hero that is there to save the day for the audience that is just sitting there like, oh my God, this is driving me crazy and I wish I could do something to help. You got Django that comes in and just... He does what the audience wants to do. He blows up the motherfucking house. He does. Did you love that end bit? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Hilda puts the fingers in the ear, the big explosion. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's The movie is just such a fun ride too. I mean, once you get past, like, the overly brutal stuff, it's just, like, such a fun Western adventure movie. But, uh, Django Unchained. Uh, any other big overarching thoughts on the film? I did like the part with the Australians. <laughs> the Tarantino, the, um, obnoxious Tarantino cameo? Yeah, because I'm like, okay, I'm like, I know it's gonna happen, it might be something brief. It was a lot longer than I expected. It was a whole scene. That's why I'm like, oh, okay, I'm like... Sticking around for just, you know, more than, like, the Hitchcock cameo where, okay, I saw him, boom, he's out of the frame. It's like, no, we got a scene with him. I love that Django's able to convince them to let him go. 
It, it's he's, an evolution of his character. He's on the Schultz line of uh, reasoning with, with the problem. Well, right? yeah, he's smart he's, about it. He stepped into King's character where he's like, you know, they're kind of fooling you. You know, they let you take us. But meanwhile, they're over there with the cash. And you could have had a payday, but they just let you walk out of there like idiots with us and didn't pay you. But I have documentation in my pocket and I can come up with a plan and we can do this. And sure enough, they're like, wow, his story matches up with the other guys that we have here that he, you know, is a bounty hunter that showed up on a horse. And and that's the thing where when the they're talking to him and he's like, you know, I don't sound like no slave. Do I sound like a slave to you? And that's another evolution of Django's character because at the beginning of the of the film, he was like, when he was with Schultz, he's like, I have no idea what the word positive means. Yeah, and I and love talk, that. And he talks like so differently at the beginning of the film versus the end of the film. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, no, I, that's what I, I love seeing throughout the movie where he would ask Schultz, you know, well, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Or when he's reading like the bounty letter and Schultz is like, oh, okay, that word's this. And like encouraging him to read and to form sentences better and speak better. So it's like you see the evolution of Django in this movie. And it's really subtle. Yeah. It's a thing that happens like really subtle. You might not even notice it until like the end of the movie. Yeah. With how he talks to people and how he like converses versus the beginning. But I mean, he's always been special. Alone with, you know, when uh, Schultz meets him the first time and he's like, you know what, I'm going to take him because... I have a bounty on him, or... I forget what, what the ploy was. Well, what it was, was Django knew what the Stebbins brothers looked like. And Schultz was on the hunt for them. But he had no idea what they looked like, so he needed Django to help him do it. So, I love that in that scene, when they make the negotiation, and they, you know, unshackle Django, and he just kicks off that, uh, the coat that he's wearing, or the blanket. <laughs> you just like that, because it looks so fucking cool. It looks cool, but it also shows his character. It's like, you know, yeah, you've had me walking for days, however long. You haven't fed me, but you haven't broken my character, my spirit. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, seeing that moment of, that's it. That strength. That strength. It's like, I'm out of here. Now you have to be worried about me because I'm going to fuck with you. And I just love that, you know, um, that King gives the, the slaves the option. He's like, you can either help this man to town. Or you could kill him and bury him in a deep hole. The choice is yours. Good day. Also, did you know the North Star is that way? Have fun, guys, and just the world's off. It's, again, the beginning of the film, how it sets up Django and Schultz and and all those people, and how it, like, plays out. Because we don't even meet Leo and and Samuel L. Jackson until, like, the third act. Well, Well, like, halfway through the movies, closer. No, I mean, it's not like he's, like, looming in the background like ooh, you know this is the bad guy eventually like we'll he's get darth him. vader and all it, that exactly it's like no we get the build-up we see horrible people and then we meet the worst of the worst yeah but speaking of the worst of the worst this is tarantino's best of the best do you understand or do you think this actually is his most successful because we were in a pretty strong agreement for death proof that that was his factual worst film yeah i mean this one when you were putting together this month i didn't understand why it was the best of the best yeah because i had always assumed that pulp fiction was his best of the best it see now i guess this i guess finally full explanation here so there were three films that were arguably gonna be put up here 
and it was going to be Pulp Fiction because that was because that film's on the AFI most like top 100 yeah. list. It's been probably the most studied of his films, um, but it made the least amount of money and a, he didn't win an Oscar for it or he didn't win major awards or he didn't have enough major award nominations for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you had something like Inglorious Bastards, yeah. which was nominated for a bunch of shit. It won an award. It was all these different like accolades. It was the one that probably had the most consistent spread across like BAFTAs, Oscars, Critics' Choice Awards, things like that. But its box office return wasn't as high as Django, which not only had the highest box office returns, also had his the most Oscar wins for supporting actor and screenplay. And also it had more or less the same amount of accolades across all such things and Django has spawned an expanded universe outside of the film yeah i don't know if you're aware but dynamite comics has a Django comic book and i've seen Django meets zorro comic books and he didn't know that yeah Django actually has a pretty solid cultural footprint in the post 2010s or whatever well that and also tarantino made it that Django was related to shaft Yes, yes. And it was kind of interesting to see him kind of tie those two universes together. (laughs) But, yeah, after this and after, you know, talking to you, it's like, I can see why this is his most successful movie. Mm. You know, maybe Pulp Fiction is his most, like, pop, you know, popular pop culture movie. Because when you say Tarantino, you think of... Pulp Fiction. You think of John Travolta and Samuel Jackson. Yeah, I mean, um, Pulp Fiction is probably his most cultural like touchstone right like the pulp fiction i again i would probably argue is his best film but we were talking about most successful film yeah and that's where we got kind of muddy Mm -hmm. because best film gets really sub like really um subjective really quickly yeah because we're not going off of personal preference yeah we're going off of you know statistics and money and box office so an amount of data i can like measure to justify it when people get angry at that me. and awards too yeah and this film i can definitely see why it's his most successful oh yeah it's has probably like the best action probably the most relatable of the tarantino characters um it's also just such a like powerhouse performances across the board by everybody. By, yeah, by everybody, and it's so well done. Like, this movie really does feel like, yeah, I can understand why why people would call this their favorite Tarantino film. Yeah. But, with that, next week, we're going to be talking about a different film. Because we've gone through his first film, least successful film, most successful film, and now his latest film. And your favorite Tarantino film. It is my favorite Tarantino film. We're going to be talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with with Leonardo DiCaprio coming back. We got Brad Pitt coming in. Kurt Russell has his, his spot in here. Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie's in here. We a have... lot of people make a cameo in this movie. It's really fun. We saw it in the theater. It was a really good showing. I'm I'm excited to talk about it. I mean, I'm kind of sad, you know, after seeing Django for this episode, I'm kind of sad I didn't see it on the big screen, because this is a really good movie. It is such a good movie. Django is one of my new favorite heroes, because he's just, he <laughs> who, kicks so much ass. We might have to go back and rewatch this one. Might have to rewatch it. I mean, I love his, hmm, I didn't know I looked good in purple, when he's wearing uh... <laughs> a... Calvin Candy's, like, <laughs> suit and stuff. 
Yeah, and it's just like, I, I really like this character. But yes, next week we'll be talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm excited, and we're also going to do something special after that episode. So you're going to stick around and watch us on Instagram. Yes, but if they wanted to watch us on Instagram, what, what's our Instagram? Where can they go to listen to us and follow us? If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can find us on there at the Film Club Podcast. We're also on Facebook under the same name. And if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, we're on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and we're also on YouTube. Yeah, you can go to our YouTube channel, In The Frame. That's In The Frame on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe, do whatever you do. It's a lot of fun. And with that, Pooh, any last words? We'll see you next week at the Film Club. All right, everybody have a good week. Bye.